and welcome to Beckett Talks, the new podcast from Leeds Beckett University. Each week, these podcasts will bring you the diversity of knowledge and experiences from across our university, reflecting on the issues that are important and interesting for communities today. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Beckett Talks. My name is Deverell, Deverell Caps, and I'm the Dean of Leeds Law School here at Leeds Beckett University. For this particular podcast, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. David Lowe, Senior Research Fellow at Leeds Law School, and this particular podcast, which is titled Special Branch to Special Advisor. Welcome, David. So, as a start, can you give us a short guided tour of your career to date and help us understand what brought you to Leeds Law School? Well, before I was a police officer, I worked at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office as a communications officer because my original plan in my teens was go to sea for a few years, see the world and then join the police. So I always wanted to join the police, but there was a shipping recession. So I ended up being a comms officer for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. And that triggered really early days, my research area, because in the room next to me were attaches that were assigned to the Secret Intelligence Service, MI6. So uh, don't think James Bond, think more John McCarthy, that side of it. So I did that, and then I did join the police, uh, joined Merseyside Police, and had a, an enjoyable career, really. I, I did in, enjoy my time there. Uh, that's why I never did the full 30, because I took my dad's tip and carried over a couple of years of pension from the civil service into the police. So I had quite a varied police career, uniform, CID roles, Amongst them, obviously, uh, I did some spells and special branch in counter-terrorism. And of course, that really does show you where my research areas are, where they are now. And that was enjoyable and different. So, as I said, I quite enjoyed every aspect I did, really, uh, in the police. But then you've got to plan an exit strategy because you do retire young. So I thought, what am I going to do when I retire? And long story short, myself and my colleague, I was studying part-time because I... All, all my higher education was was part time while I was a police officer. So I, I was studying then, and I was studying law with a colleague. We thought we would go actually go into the legal profession as uh, solicitors, do our LPC part time after the LLB, and uh, perhaps go onto the other side if you like, uh, uh, defending people. But I changed my mind. I had a very inspirational tutor when I was studying, and uh, she changed my mind. And I then approached her and said, look, when I'm going to retire, I want to be a university lecturer. What shall I do? And she was a great mentor at that particular time. And then, again, I was very fortunate. Not long after I retired, there was uh, job opportunities at Liverpool John Moores University's law school. And I um, went for the interview and uh, was Fortunately, successful, and I was the I was then at <clears throat> John Moore's for a number of years. Became principal lecturer. Actually, was program leader for the LLB. But I really started my research. I was doing my PhD. I started it in the police, and finished it at John Moore's when I was a, a lecturer at John Moore's. So the the research was really I was finding that really fascinating as well as my teaching. And then. Again, uh, the research was grabbing me more and more. I'm not, I'm not denigrating the teaching, but I was really enjoying the research because I was starting to get in touch with former colleagues, getting involved with a few initiatives. As I was really enjoying that because I thought, well, what I'm researching is actually helping practitioners and people in the field. And then the opportunity came to Leeds Law School at Leeds Beckett. And it was basically through being an external examiner for one of uh, my colleagues there many years ago. And then that's where my interest in Leeds Law School and uh, 
And again, I was sort of made the approach and then I applied and uh, I got the post as I currently am now a senior research fellow and uh, absolutely enjoying my time at Leeds Law School. Again, uh, the main bulk of my work is my research. So as well as my outputs, it's also looking at getting involved in communities and getting involved with other agencies and trying to help them. So that's a quick, short guided tour from uh, 1978 to uh, 2021. Thank you, thank you, David. So let's just let's just focus a little bit on on your time with, with the police. So I'm sure you know well, you were you were a police officer. You said that you worked through the ranks and had some time in the special branch. I'm sure that there are some you know really exciting things that happened to you, and there's probably things you can talk about, things you probably can't talk about. But are there um, any one are there one or two highlights that you might want to share with us about your time with the police service? Yeah, that few things stand out. It's strange enough, it was 40 years ago, exactly 40 years ago, while I was still in my probation, I had about 18 months service in, and it was the Toxteth riots. Wasn't really expecting that. I remember the first night was the 4th of July. These are the days when there's more uniform foot patrols, and that's what I was. I was walking around an area called Norris Green in Liverpool, and all our collar numbers were being called up. Where are you? We got picked up, taken in a van, go down towards uh, Liverpool City Centre and talk to them, going, what's happening? I always remember it because uh, the sergeant said, there's, there's been a bit of a, dis- a, bit of a disturbance mm-hmm. in Toxteth. And then uh, we arrived at the, head- the old headquarters. And I always remember it. I mean, it, it very much reminds me of the life of Brian and the crucifixion when he says, uh, crucifixion, good, take a cross door on the left. This was, uh, have you done any right shield training before? No, don't worry. They gave you a shield, you'll soon pick it up. Out we went, and uh, that's that. That was unbelievable. What what we faced over uh, that period of time, both beginning of July and the end of July, incredible, really, and and what I witnessed, and and that 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 did change me because uh, I did later on get involved with, with public order training and so on, and it did leave a mark with me. But uh, that that one sticks out. Another one is um, eighty six, not long after the Crown Prosecution Service was formed. At that time, I was a detective in the city centre local city centre, and we formed uh, the first multi-agency approach with uh, the Crown Prosecution Service, looking at paedophiles, in particular males who were taking advantage of young boys who were were termed rent boys around Liverpool, Lime Street Station and that area. I found that work was very interesting, completely different. We worked with social services. Uh, There was an emergency social services team who specialised in dealing with the young males. And then from that, out came Operation Care and Care Homes. By that time, I'd, I'd, I'd moved on, but it was really interesting work. But to actually be part of a small team that was one of the first to work with the Crown Prosecution Service, uh, I look back at that, and, and the, it, it was, it was just like you'd see in areas where there's like the states with district attorneys and so on. They helped us and guided us through the evidence that we needed. And you can imagine the evidence that, that we could gather could be limited because we could be going back over months and years of abuse of, of certain uh, young boys gathering other evidence. So that, that was fascinating. Obviously, my, my first time in, in the in special branch, it was during the Irish Troubles. Uh, and Liverpool never got bombed. I would say reason for Liverpool didn't get bombed was there were a lot of sympathisers here in Liverpool. Uh, but it's on both sides. I mean, we're coming up to the 12th of July. The Orange Lodges based in Liverpool will be marching next week. But obviously there was a, a lot of Republican sympathies here in the city. So it was a very interesting time. 
and uh, with my mother coming from Straban in West Tyrone and during the Troubles, of course, that made it even more interesting. I couldn't tell a family in Ireland what I was doing. They knew I was in the police, but they thought, and they knew I was a detective, but they thought I was dealing with other things. But I remember that period of going over to see the family. It, it was completely different to, to what it is now. I mean, I, I spent a lot of my childhood there in, in the summer holidays when my uncle has a farm in Tyrone. And so I've got a lot of happy memories, but as I'm growing up as a child and early teens, the troubles don't really, you don't understand it until, and it really did help actually in my first spell in the branch. I understood what both causes were. Obviously the threat here in Britain was from uh, mainly from the provisional IRA and the INLA. So I understood what the cause was, but I uh, certainly won my first interviews. I tried to build up a rapport, but it didn't matter because they just saw me as a traitor, even though I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic with an Irish background. That was a bit of a shock to the system. So interesting times and it did help me through the rest of my service taking a more objective view and I think by then I was starting to study and that academic learning at higher education also helped me in my job as well looking at things from a different perspective learning the law gave me more confidence it was an interesting time so I just seen seen it as a natural progression to do what I'm doing now but those are some of the highlights I think from a police career. Crikey well I'm sure that over the 30 odd years or 28 years that you were in the in the service I'm sure that you saw an awful lot more than that but thank you for sharing those particular um, two highlights. So let's then move on a little bit to, the, to your PhD and, um, and the research and the start of your research journey. What was your PhD about David? It looked at um, the, the law governing UK counter-terrorism investigations. I mean, the reason I was doing a PhD is because I knew I wanted to go and have a, a career in academia. My old tutor from John Moore, she said, go and do your PhD and, and make a start on that. It was an interesting period from 2000 because prior to 2000, all we had was the Prevention of Terrorism Brackets Temporary Provisions Act, and it only looked at Northern Ireland. The prescribed terrorist groups were what you'd expect, the dissident Republicans and the Loyalists, that's all there was. And it was only about a political cause. But in 2000, the Terrorism Act 2000, when that came out, that was a, compared to the PTA, it was a big piece of legislation. It changed counter-terrorism policing in this country because it was looking at, at that particular time, political, religious and ideological. And later on, uh, a racial cause was added after the 2008 Act. And there was rafts of legislation have come in from 2000, there's one in 2001, and we see control orders and so on in 2006, another significant one that came out after the attacks in London in 2005 in July. So I was looking at that and going, how effective is this legislation? How impactful is it? How is it changing the role of counter-terrorism investigations in the UK? Because some of that legislation also applies to the whole of the UK, so the four countries that form the UK, some of it just applies to Britain, some of it just applies to England and Wales, I found that fascinating. So that that really was uh, quite, quite, when I say enjoyable, it really got me to understand terrorism law. And then I started then to compare it with other states because obviously after 9-11, the Patriot Act came out in the States and I was looking at, with that threat of international terrorism, at that particular time there's Al-Qaeda and obviously later on there's Islamic State. But certainly when I was doing my PhD, it was predominantly Al-Qaeda was the main influential Islamist group and they were threatening if you like globally so could you have a comparative law where either intelligence or more importantly evidence was obtained that would be admissible in another state's jurisdiction and then that got me on the comparative side so i looked at predominantly the us canada and australia and 
as I said, it was just fascinating watching counterterrorism policing change, not just in the UK, but watching it globally change with co increased cooperation. And they realized they had to cooperate internationally. The role of Interpol, Europol, which is the EU's policing agency, and all that came together. It wasn't a chore. It was like, I suppose it was, it was more of a hobby, really, writing a PhD. I quite enjoyed doing the research and I quite enjoyed writing it up. With all of that, though, I mean, there can't be that many people in the world who have had a had a time um, working with uh, the police force, and I suppose having one foot into the special special branch as well, and also having the the academic credentials to be able to talk about and advise upon counterterrorism and general extremism across the piece. I mean, how do you think your background really helped you to to get to where you are today? I suppose it was it was um, central, wasn't it? Yeah, without doubt. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm, currently I'm still working with, because one, one development around 2006 was the formation of counterterrorism unit, units, regional units. So I'm, I'm still in liaison at the moment with the North East's counterterrorism unit, SO15 in the Mets, which is theirs. I think one, one thing is, yes, I am an academic, but I can also speak the language as well. I think that helps. It helps to break down barriers, certainly when you're dealing as I'm dealing now with, with the police and that's a big help because they do want help. That's what I'm finding. They, they do want to make their role more effective and they want to make it effective not just in the investigations but under the prevent strategy that was introduced in 2003. Much maligned because it originally dealt with the violent Islamist ideology. Now it deals with all forms of extremism but a lot of people still think it just deals with the Islamist one that's created then the, the suspect community of of Muslim communities, it has completely changed dramatically from, from those days and they want to get it right. So I, I find it quite helpful, I think, that I understand what their role is. I, it's, it's, it's the jargon also helps, I think, when, when, you, when you can speak the language, as it were, that, that operational language. And then yeah. I can begin the uh, academic side. Located in one of the UK's largest legal hubs, Leeds Law School is the perfect place to maximise practical experience and available employment opportunities. A law degree is demanding, but it can be extremely rewarding. And as a law student, you will learn transferable skills that can open countless doors in your career journey. We offer undergraduate courses like the LLB that have the option to combine law with other subjects, including criminology, business or finance and postgraduate courses including the graduate diploma in law llm in legal practice and our llm in international business law so whether you're already set to work in the legal profession looking to change direction or just keen to challenge yourself discover more by visiting our website at leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash law so let's move on now and focus specifically on your research. David, give us a couple of areas that you're researching at the moment and tell us about what you're finding, what you're learning, and perhaps how it's impacting upon England, Wales and beyond. Yeah, I think currently at the moment, what really has expanded is the prevent strategy. Now, the UK's counterterrorism policy contest has four Ps in it, prevent, pursue, protect, prepare. Pursue, that's the investigative part, that's our detectives and police sort of 
trying to bring people, they look for evidence and arrest them. And their main emphasis is to prevent, with a little p, a terrorist attack from happening. And that's why they need those wider powers that you see in the terrorism legislation. Uh, they don't want to detect it because if they're, if they're detecting, then that means somebody's died and serious injuries. So that's that role. Prepare and protect. Protect is, is looking at designing out terrorism policies that, that can minimise that possibility of an attack happening and prepare is the emergency services and other agencies, how they respond to an attack. But prevent, it's an interesting strategy. It's there to prevent people from going down the path of terrorism. So we're talking about all forms of extremism. So that's not just the Islamists, we're looking at the extreme far right. The UK is the leader in this. They've now prescribed seven extreme far right neo-Nazi groups. And I differentiate between the far right and the extreme far right. And I think this has been important. And certainly what I've been what I've been helping on projects, be it in education in the, in, in the Greater Manchester area, for example, working even at Leeds Beckett, where we'll be using the Hydra Suite for immersive learning. It's great because we've brought some external partners in on that. But once you talk about the right, it's differentiating, certainly between far right and extreme far right, the latter being the neo-Nazis, white supremacists. Far right, there are groups who are far right who are legitimate political parties. And I sort of say, well, they could be anti-immigration, but not, not racist. They can be anti-Islam, but not anti-Muslim. And an example I give of that is, for example, as I said, I'm a Roman Catholic. There are things from the Vatican that I can totally disagree with, but that won't make me anti-Catholic. It's trying to get this notion across, differentiate. The threat is the extreme far right. It certainly is. And as I said, it was really after the murder of Joe Cox uh, by Thomas Mann in 2016, the first group national action who were neo-Nazis, that was the first one to be prescribed. And the UK was the first to actually prescribe, or as they say in other states, ban or list as a terrorist organisation from the extreme far right. Canada's now done the same, Germany's done the same. Uh, so it's an interesting period looking at the different causes and, and the different threats. Prevent is about safeguarding and that, that message has come across. It's developed so much, so much it's really come up and it's trying to get this message across. And so obviously I've, I've been helping in the Manchester area where initially it was with a colleague who, who I've met many years ago. He is a teacher or was, was in the teaching profession and he was getting involved with excluded children uh, from school and young people from schools, those who were a threat in the sense of playing truant and so on. So they, they, there are special units to help them, to help those children. But of course, they are prime for extremists and also county lines gangs. You can't discount organised crime. They will prey on the vulnerable. These are were, were classic vulnerable children and young people. So it's helping the teachers as well. And it's been some success. I mean, I've been covering what is freedom of expression, what's protected, what is extremism how to make a challenge, having what we call safe areas to discuss things. So it's not immediately, oh my God, this child said X, let's refer them to prevent. No, it's making sensible challenges. That's been really interesting. And, and from prevent, I mentioned Northern Ireland before, Pre prevent doesn't apply in Northern Ireland, uh, I think mainly because of the sectarian issue. But there's been a growth in hate crime. They're also going to legislate for it at Stormont. I think once they've sorted out politically the few issues that's going on, Marianne from uh, Northern Ireland, he, he produced his uh, review. That was published in December last year. So they're looking at 
that factor. And I'm working at the moment with the Northern Ireland Justice Agency, uh, looking at having a bespoke version of Prevent for Northern Ireland, one that will cover the sectarian issue, because you've got to have that. It's understanding that issue is you can't have it as an extremism that's going to cause a problem because of the history of the island of Ireland, and in particular the history of Northern Ireland. It's 100 years old this year after partition in 1921. There is a uniqueness about that community. So it is having your parades. It is having those bonfires safely. It is what flag you can fly. But... The trouble is the paramilitaries are also involved in organised crime as well, but it's, yes, it's exactly the same process. Vulnerable young people grab them into that paramilitary uh, activity. So that's what they're, they're looking at. They, they have an issue. They have got a policy under Fresh Start from 2015 and there's programmes like Aspire, but it's not a truly multi-agency one. I think that's what they're looking to develop. So that's been, as I said, prevents taken off. The other areas I've, all, I've always looked at was uh, I've done expert witness work for the likes of SO15 and a few other agencies looking at the use of electronic communications, surveillance, but terrorist user tradecraft, that's where they, if you like, electronically in particular, will try and disguise their activities so what looks innocent, how what they're purchasing and so on, but actually what they're doing is having that as a cover for planning and plotting acts of terrorism. So that's been another area that, uh, but as I said, over the last couple of years, really, it's just Prevent that's taken off. And of course, there's a, a review on Prevent that's been headed at the moment by William Shawcross. That seems to be one of the key areas that they're looking at. And as there's a statutory obligation on those in education, including ourselves, Dev, in higher education, the health and the criminal justice system, apart from the courts, they have a statutory duty to help people from being drawn towards terrorism. So there's a lot going on there, and that seems to grab most of my time. Okay, so there's a few things that have come out of what you've just said, David. I wonder if you could just help some of our listeners to understand some of the terminology. So very quickly then, contest. You mentioned contest. What is contest? Contest is the national counterterrorism policy. So it looks at all aspects of terrorism. As I said, it's under four distinct headings. Obviously, prevent I've just talked about. As I said, pursue, that is the investigative stage. That is the one that will bring in where you're looking at arresting individuals, bringing them into the criminal justice system. Protect is about designing up. There's an interesting development on Protect following the Manchester Arena bombing. It's Term Martin's Law. Martin obviously uh, was was one of the victims at uh, the Manchester Arena bombing, and it's his mother uh, who who's been driving this for the private sector who look after public areas. So think of arenas, shopping malls. You 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 think of the public spheres that you go into that are owned by the by the private sector, but also local authorities as well to try and design out to try and minimise the potential for a terrorist attack to happen. So they draw up a, you know, a proper resilient strategy. And obviously we've, we've just had the public inquiry into the Manchester Arena bombing. And I think that may help towards it, but the government is actually looking to legislate it. And again, the UK will be the first to ensure that the private sector that, that runs public areas do take some responsibility in trying to design out terrorism. And I said that's currently on the go at the moment. And the other one is prepare. So that's the emergency services and other agencies once a terrorist attack has happened it's looking at how they respond and as i said again what will help here will be the manchester arena public inquiry because it was quite critical in how both private security the police the fire service and so on actually responded to that event i always have some sympathy because hindsight's a wonderful thing and when you're dealing with this sort of situation as it happens 
you know, it, there's a lot of confusion that goes on, but we're saying that these staff need to be properly trained. Certainly when you look at bronze and silver commanders and the police, the ones who are, if you like, the senior investigators, or they won't be the senior investigating officers looking into the crime, but they will be the senior officers putting this together. You need proper training. And I think also it's absolutely vital in having, which they have had exercises with the emergency services and public areas that they've run those. I think that's important. So that's what contest is in a nutshell. Thank you, David. That's really helpful. So you also use the term prevent. Now, what does that actually mean? Is, is it like an old medical adage of an apple a day keeps the doctor away? So in short, prevention is better than the cure. Is that right? Yeah, it's one of those where the aim of prevent is to help and stop people who are becoming imbued or radicalised with an extremist ideology from going down to the path of an basically committing acts of terror and inciting hatred. So it won't prevent individuals from being radicalised or on the path of being radicalised because then it's when they're on that path, that's when the triggers start. That's when you something they will say or their behaviour, they start to cut themselves off from their usual circle of friends. They cut themselves off from their family. That's what I mean by behaviour. They're meeting new people, the things that they're saying so they're on that path. So it's not to prevent them from being radicalised or going down that path. One of them will nip it in the bud. And then on prevent, you have a referral. And it's a pre-criminal thing. So it's a pre-criminal state. You're not going to be arrested by the police or anything. It's a truly multi-agency approach. It's about safeguarding. And I have an issue uh, with, with those who criticise prevent. I'm not saying it's perfect by any means. It does need constantly rebranding. And there are areas where it could be improved, but the improvements in the last few years have been incredible and positive. But it is safeguarding. And I go, we don't have a problem safeguarding children, young people from sexual assault, domestic abuse. Why do people get hung up on the fact that this is safeguarding their mental health? the exploitation of extremists who groom these individuals. They are creating online games and they hook them in slowly but surely. And this grooming, I think we've seen, it can apply to anything. Getting involved in organised crime, as I said, county lines, gangs, even grooming for sexual exploitation. Similar methods are being used, but some of these extremists are very, and it's not just the Islamists, I stress that it's other extremist groups as well, are very adept and very skillful in how they're bringing children and young people into their clutches and alienate them from their normal social circle and, and family, and then they've got them. And that's that's where Prevent is coming in. Now, you then could get a referral from Prevent into Channel Channels, where the multi-agency aspect comes in that looks at where they need help. Do they need help with housing? Do they need help with education? Do they need help with any other training? They're given a mentor from their community, a positive mentor basically yes you do have a role in society yes you this is the way our society works you you can be successful you know don't fall for what these extremists are saying so i've tried to sum up very briefly uh, what prevent is okay i mean we all have in he in higher education we all have an obligation don't we to uh, make a referral if we feel that that someone is i suppose we're worried about them and we, and we feel that they may be radicalised. Are there any examples that you've got of, of when it's lead when it's led to someone actually being removed from that particular risk or maybe even other examples when um, someone has raised a, a flag and then actually it's turned out to be not that important? 
Yeah, not not so much from university or at higher education level, but certainly using education examples. There's some actually that, that, that have actually got into national news. One more recently was an 11-year-old young Muslim boy. If you have the money or the charity, what, what could you do to help people? He said he would give alms to the oppressed, and he meant ALMS alms, the old medieval term for charity. The teacher didn't didn't quiz the child on it and made a referral to prevent. Now, once there's a referral to prevent, if the police come round, they are community officers, they're the neighbourhood officers, it, 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 they're not counter-terrorism detectives, and they quickly found out, ah, right, no problem, it goes no further, that's the end of it. There are others, other examples where it's actually worked, where, where the teacher has actually challenged and it's been successful. One was, as I, I mentioned, uh, my activity in the Manchester, helping with, with the Manchester area. And one of the young males, he was about 14, 15, said he wanted to go to Pakistan and fight. The teacher then quite rightly quizzed the young lad about what it was. And what it was was he then mentioned about the different Taliban factions and Islamic State in Pakistan, because Pakistan has actually suffered some of the horrific terrorist attacks and has some of the highest number of uh, civilian casualty rates globally. And his uncle is in the Pakistani army and he said that's what he wanted to do, was join the Pakistani army and fight these terrorist groups. And that's all you need to do is do a simple challenge. I also know of examples uh, both extreme far right and on Islamists, but you can't say too much because it's got confidentiality with individuals where it has actually help them get back and some of it has been like 18 year olds couch surfing unemployed don't feel as though they're achieving i'm, I'm thinking about an extreme far right one here where his view was all the immigrants are getting all the houses and the jobs they was falling for all that but long story short he just needed help with training housing agency came in found him a flat to live in uh, he got a mentor and long story short actually a big success here in the Merseyside area has been helping the prevent team here and has been speaking to other youngsters in schools to say you know don't follow my example this is this is the danger so the last question i have following on from from what you've already said you spoke about something called the hydra suite and immersive learning can you help our listeners to understand what that is all about please uh, the Hydra Suite, it's also been used uh, to train military and police, and I'm, I was familiar with it before I joined Leeds Beckett. Immersive learning is basically the learners will attend, and then a series of practical scenarios, and they can be video, audio, document, documentation. They all face a scenario on the topic they're looking at. Now, what we've looked at is on prevent. There are clues and hints and so on of how to deal with a, an incident, and it's looking at how they deal with it in, in a practical situation as, as close as you can get to being in that practical situation so if you say you've got 20 attendees you break them up say into groups of four or groups of five and they will work together and then it's looking at how those different groups actually dealt with the scenarios they'll have similar virtually the, the same scenarios it's to help not just understand from an academic point of view, it's from a practical point of view, uh, how you would deal with something. And the debriefing is really important. And there are trained Hydra facilitators that we have in the Leeds Law School who've been brilliant at uh, doing this because we've, we've had a few pilot runs with students and with staff. And obviously COVID sort of held back a bit because uh, it's all been online at the moment, but it's looking at that, getting involved. Obviously we've, we've picked up how, how we can tweak uh, the sessions, but. It's around three hours initially, 
and that's the training. It's better than I find a problem with some of the prevent training has been a 15 minute, 20 minute, half hour at time online training. It's not hitting the spot. This helps not just knowledge, but helps understanding. And I think understanding is an important aspect. And that's what we've done with Leeds Beckett's Hydra Suite and the staff there. We've helped not just the knowledge, but the understanding of the issues. Thank you, David. So my last question is a question I ask to all of our guests on the podcast series or also as part of our larger Law in Practice lectures. What one piece of advice, and this is perhaps something that you know now that you'd wish you'd have known when you were 20. So what one piece of advice would you give to law students at Leeds Beckett University or for that matter at any institution? Yeah, I think if I was 20, part of me sometimes wished I'd listened to my dad and stayed on and did my A-levels at university, that maybe I'd have been down this path sooner. But then I also reflect back and go, maybe not doing what I'm doing now. I think it was, I was very fortunate that, you know, and we are very fortunate in this country, a lot of institutions, higher education, offer part-time degrees for individuals who are in full-time employment. And it's grasping that opportunity. So certainly to mature students, I can relate to them so much because I was a mature student. I was in my 30s when I started having higher education is you're never too old and you can always learn. I remember starting because uh, I did a criminal justice degree first before I did law. I remember having the dictionary out for every fifth word, I think it was. But I stuck it out. Tenacity is really important, but you can do it. I think that's the important part. I mean, as I said, I left school. I don't have an A-level to my name. I still don't. I've made up for it since then. But certainly to those who are, who are mature students who think, well, I haven't been to school for a long time. It'll be too hard. No, just stick with it. And you can do it. If, if I can do it, trust me, many others out there, and certainly for those who are going through the route of full-time, enjoy the experience trying and certainly while you're studying get as much uh, work experience as you can so you can put your practical knowledge and practical experience with what you're learning when through your reading through your lectures and through your seminars it will help you understand greatly i think that would be a big help and a, a top tip david thank you very much indeed so Dr. David Lowe, Senior Research Fellow, Leeds Law School at Leeds Beckett University. Thank you very much indeed for your time. And folks out there listening to this podcast, thank you for listening. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday. So don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week.